everyone, and we're live. You're tuning to the Cosmic Driven Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have an interesting duo in the studio with me. Um, it's kind of hard to pin down what they do because they come from an interesting background of uh, creative pursuits. But please, could to, to, to kickstart the conversation, can you all introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Dion. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to pin down what we do as well because we do so many different things. Um, I run, uh, I'm part of a creative studio called Tiago Children. Um, oh, yes, among a lot of other stuff. But today we're coming on as Stacking Stones with my very, very, very good friend and working partner, Hui. Hi. He has given you three varies in that particular sentence. I think I think that means quite a bit. I know. Yeah. He's a loved. Yep. Hi, mm-hmm. I'm Hui. Yep. I am Dion's very, very, very <laughs> just kidding, but yeah. Oh, we're, we're just kidding. T- two of us make stacking stones. <laughs> yep. I'm okay. just going to ignore you. <laughs> so, so to kickstart the conversation, who or what is stacking stones? Mm. Um, funny story. We Stacking stones is called stacking stones because one day we were hanging out and we just got bored and went to Hot Park and started stacking stones. Okay. And eventually that became like a thing between us and our friendship. Like we would just go to parks at night to stack stones. But um, I think from then on, we during our park trips or whenever we're hanging out, we just always have a lot of conversations around things that we believe in, things that we're curious about. And I think one day they just that just sort of led into doing things together. Um, so we're like, okay, why not we just do form an informal collective called Stacking Stones where we would just do whatever we're curious about. So the first thing that we ever did was a design advertising talk. Mm. You want to explain how that happened? Yeah, I think it was just through a mutual friend. You know, we we got introduced to this advertising veteran that just came back from China. Um, So he's like one of the OG advertising guys in Singapore. His name is Peter So. Mm. So he came to us and wanted us to help organize a talk. So using our resources or lack of resources we put together uh, quite a quite actually not like pretty well executed talk yeah it's pretty decent right with like zero budget right Mm. and it was held at like zook um and we actually it was ticketed so we actually made some money from that i think small amount of money but but we didn't lose money yeah yeah and it was kind of like for i mean we, we we came with the intention um to create projects that that were really catered to the local creative community. So I think this, I mean, when, when this opportunity came up, we just, um, yeah, we just took it and, and decided to run with it. So yeah. that was our first, first proper event, like three years ago, actually. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think in the back of the back of our heads, we always wanted to do the documentary, mm. um, which I guess we'll talk about a bit more later, but yeah, that's how Stacking Stones <clears throat> started. It's interesting because uh, you mentioned about intentions. So has there always been an overarching intent with regards to stacking stones? Or has it changed along the way uh, through holding that workshop and now and next uh, the, the, the documentary? I think I think for us, when we, when we started stacking stones, it was one of the, one of the angles that we wanted to come in with was to, like what I mentioned, cater the content for the local creative community. So mm. we kind of like use that as the almost like the guide because we let's say for the advertising talk we wanted to target um, people in the advertising in, like industry or like mm. designers and slash creatives yep it was always supposed to have like a local focus um because back then you know when i was doing 
death threats, for example, it was doing clothes. Um, TYC, you know, Terry Children, we are doing like commercial global projects. Um, but I felt that I personally never really had an outlet to pursue local projects, like projects catered to the local community. So I think that was what we shared, um, like the same sentiment as well. Like she felt that there were a lot of um, creative communities that weren't really in the spotlight and we wanted to kind of like shed light on those um yeah those hidden or underground communities yeah and i think what was interesting is because we have very different backgrounds like he comes from well he, he just does everything <laughs> basically <laughs> and i come from advertising right sure. so so when we got to know each other that was sort of our dynamic so yep. i think when we came together there was just a lot of things that we saw was lacking as opposed mm. from our own experiences in terms of like communities not um, being spotlighted or people not having access to certain information, etc. So I think I think when we came together, it was just like, okay, actually we both believe there is a gap in that sense. So we, I think intentionally kept it quite loose in terms of mm. what we're going to do because we know that was going to evolve over time. And it was also going to cater to our own flexibility in terms of what um, what was going to evolve and become a necessity in that sense or like become interesting for us at a certain point of time. Mm. So, so I think that as the bedrock of the intention I think has always been quite consistent yeah but in terms of what we do I think that's that's quite up in the air yep. in a sense yeah. so going off what you two just mentioned um, what do you guys observe about the, the local creative scene what, what, what were just observations that you guys had individually that you guys wanted to change yeah. I think when we when we talked about the, the the first design talk the advertising talk I think we felt that um there weren't a lot of um, sharing from really experienced people in the industry. Um, and I, I, I think we just felt that there wasn't much opportunities for younger people going to the industry to have one-on-one um, -on -one or up close and personal conversations with people that, you know, have done it for like 40 years. Like this guy that we, we, we organized a talk for has like, he basically has like over 40 years of experience um, leading campaigns all, all across um, China and, and, and Singapore. So I think what we felt was that that lack of interaction between um, industry leaders and people fresh out of school. So I think that was something that we we felt that the talk um, tried to address. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think also at that point, because coming for advertising, there were talks like that happening, but it was always very formalized, like from your associations or at open houses or at recruitment fairs, etc. But I think there's never really been one that opens up to people beyond the industry itself. So when you talk about advertising, then it's just very silo in that sense or very insular. So I think what we did was, you know, we reached out to like schools or design students, etc. to just make it a bit more cross pollinating as well in mm. a way yeah but but i think the other observations in a sense was i think coming in and seeing tyc and and all this very popular creatives in singapore i think i as a personal observation i realized you always see the same few names mm. in singapore and if you're not within that circle it, it feels a little bit difficult for people to get in yep. or it feels a bit difficult for people to want to work with them because you don't know them enough or yep. you you don't have exposure etc and I think from there on, it's also like, how do we then also include people like that? Or how do we also then tell stories of people like that that are not so frequently featured in 
the commercial works of Singapore, etc. So I think there's always a bit of us trying to think about the fringes of the creative scene in a way, or yep. the, the untold stories in a way. Yep. Yeah. Going on what you said, do you think that's a product of uh, the fact that there isn't a lot of names that is constantly in the spotlight or just uh, a lot of people are just beaming on social media and not promoting themselves enough. Hence, therefore, they are not as featured. I think it's a lot of factors. Sure. I think both of what you said and also that I may be completely wrong here, but just my own opinion. Um, I think Singaporeans are also quite safe in, in talking about people that brands or commercial projects might want to work with. So mm. they tend to work with people who are tried and tested or work with people that already have a certain um, portfolio to, mm. to to prove themselves, basically, which is, I mean, fair. But I think then that leaves the people with like smaller followings or um, less of an impressive portfolio, lesser opportunities to, to, to be exposed to these things, I suppose. And then it just becomes a cycle in a way. At least from what I observe, that's that seems to always be, be the case. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about both of your uh, journeys leading into Stacking Stones. You mentioned we are from advertising mm. and Dion's from somewhere. So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know what, what do you guys see similar mm. and where does the similarities end and the differences begin that between you two? Because I would, I would imagine the, the 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 background and let's say you in advertising and Dion with TYC and all these other stuff. Uh, at some points, the, the the view on creativity and view on certain things might be different. So how do you all square that away and working together? I can talk about similarities. <laughs> <laughs> Arrow me the hard one. Yeah, of course. Um, I think similarities, actually, we were talking about this a while ago that um, I think both of us somehow really value the idea of community building. What does that mean? Meaning, I think we enjoy being in a position where we can use whatever resource we have or network we have to bring people together okay. or bring people who are unlikely to be together together in that sense. And I think we both really quite thrive on the idea of that, which is why sometimes when we, we talk about certain ideas that we individually have, you just vibe off there because we're like, yeah, yeah, I have the same belief in that sense. So I think fundamentally that was one very big thing that I think brought us together for Stacking Stones. Um, the difference... <laughs> The difference, hmm, experiences, I feel. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Um, I don't think we have much differing beliefs. Mm. Um, I think the only thing different about the both of us is really just the experiences, like what we mentioned. Um, yeah, but I mean, just, just going back to how we even met, right? Um, I met you. Uh, no, I, uh, I was his client. Yeah, like we, <laughs> we was we was a client, or at least a client facing person that I was liaising with when TYC did a, a mural a for mural my ex agency. Her, yeah, her ex agency, yeah. and I think it was just like the communications, you know, and just kind of like I think just the vibe just just felt felt right. So I think we kind of hit it off really well, and we started to hang out. We started to go for um, exhibitions together, and I think we we have quite a lot of conversations about like working together and what we can do to help support the local creative scene. So I think that was really the the focus. And I think we, the both of us have such different backgrounds and resources that we felt it was very complimentary. Um, I mean, we were both quite um, task oriented, like people like we're suits basically. <laughs> so um, 
I think when we came together, we felt quite, it felt quite natural working together because mm. it was really just like vibing of like, okay, what's the idea you want to do? And and I guess with my resources, or not my resources, or like resources that I could somehow come up with. His resources. <laughs> um, it just felt like things were a lot easier um, mm. to, to, to put out. So yeah, even the talk, like, it was actually quite amazing to think about it. I mean, it was it's quite hard to like think back three years ago. Um, but thinking thinking back about it, the talk went really, really smoothly actually. Like we put together like a 60, 70 people talk at Zook. We got Zook to sponsor the event, mm. the event venue. We got um, our friend who who does like furniture to sponsor the furniture of the place. Yep. So yeah, actually, I mean, just, just the idea of us pulling our resources together you know, just bootstrapping things, just doing it um, from the ground up. I think that was something that really resonated with what we wanted to do. I mean, even with the documentary, which we can talk about more, like we really came up with like from nothing, basically. <laughs> and the fact that we are where we are at right now is kind of, yeah, it's kind of surreal, actually. So, yeah, I don't really see a lot of differing beliefs, but I feel like we're just um, quite similar in the way we approach things, in the way we view things. And I think when we put our heads together to try to accomplish something it actually gets done <laughs> yeah yep. I actually think one interesting difference that I think kind of worked out for us is that from where I came from I think my view on the creative community in a, in a way it's a bit like outside in mm. so my experience was working with you guys as a client as a as a partner etc right? whereas Dion's very much embedded within the creative community and he has like context whatever so i think sometimes then we can get to test like each other's um ideology in a way like based on our experience i'll go like okay based on my observation this is this is whatever i think is going on he's like yes or no based on his experience so in a way then it becomes a very i guess balanced view in that sense because we come from two very different ends of that spectrum in a way um but yeah i think differences um i'm an overthinker so he he corrects me a lot in that sense which is quite funny because, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> different. I, not much of a difference, I think. I think <clears throat> I think overthinking is a superpower, but... Yeah? yeah. Thanks. Have I, you seen? <laughs> I think there's a difference between overthinking and, I guess, spiraling down different thoughts that are not healthy. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that I personally feel that there's a clear difference. La. No, la. I overthink for projects. I think that's normal. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Validated. I think that's a pretty good segue into the upcoming film and documentary that you guys have done. So could you speak on that and how or who suggested the idea to, to do a film after the, 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 the workshop? Yeah. Actually, funny thing. I actually think we talked about this idea before the workshop. Mm. I remember very vividly what we were at Hong Lim Park just one random night and we were just talking about um, I think some ideas that we had and general observations about how um, Singaporeans or our peers basically um, don't seem to know about people that came before us, like creative people, designers um, or graffiti artists or whoever that came before us. And we're both like, eh, cannot be there. Cannot be that there isn't, those people don't exist in Singapore. Like, because you know there are artists, like fine artists before us. How come we we can't really like just name drop anybody at the tip of our tongue? So, and then he was like, oh, actually not true because um, he knows Kit really well, mm. um, Kit from Syndicate. 
Um, and Kit used to tell him stories about like good old days <laughs> in the 90s, like where the designers used to hang out, blah, blah, blah. And like other people used to tell him as well. And we're like, okay, so, you know, the stories actually exist. It's just that we, we, we don't get access to them, right? So I think we've always wanted to do a project around that. We didn't mm. actually know what form it was going to take. It was actually Russell. Russell who suggested doing a film. Because I think previous initially we were like, oh, maybe we do a coffee table book or yep. some form and then we know something that more was, reasonable basically yeah because yeah. we know that it was going to be very information heavy but we also know that people don't read coffee table books front to back um <laughs> and we know that it wasn't going to work in the back of our heads and i think he was talking to russell about the idea one day and he suggested right right doing the documentary i think i was with, i was with russell in hong kong on mm. a bus yes <laughs> i was yeah i was me and russell in a bus in hong kong we were in Hong Kong for like Art Basel and I think it was just talking about this idea of like doing, like just documenting um, lesser known stories or like stories that that the new generation may not have come across or may not have heard. Mm. And I think he just, yeah, yeah he, I think he might have been the one who suggested the documentary. Because yeah. he watched A Beautiful Mind, right? Beautiful Losers. A Beautiful Losers. A beautiful losers. And he was yeah. like, oh, maybe you guys should do that. And then we're like, ah, yeah, maybe we do a documentary. Okay. And actually it went on a whole long journey because we're like, oh, do we get a director to do it? Do we get someone else to produce it? Et cetera. I think we were talking to our friends, um, like our filmmaking friends around it. And then somehow everyone suggested that we do it ourselves. And then we just shed our pants. We were like, huh? <laughs> do you have not, any experience? No. I mean, I've done production yep. in advertising, but it's like completely different. How is yeah. it different? I think in my position previously you don't really you're more of the on the client side of thing or just on you, you conceptualize it but you're not actually the filmmaker or the producer of the film itself so actually having to direct and produce the film from scratch is a very different skill set mm-hmm. i don't know how we did it but um so we just basically bootstrap yeah. and then we just went for it i mean yeah. your your skill set in running production work definitely yeah, yeah it was helped helpful, a lot yeah for sure yeah. Then yeah. So that that was how it was birthed, mm. and we just were very thankful because we met um, so many people along the way that decided to help. You know, yep. give their time and resources to help us without a penny. Um, this project was done without any budget. Yep. Um, so everyone just very gracious, gracefully, um, graciously, sorry, um, dedicated their time to this. So we've been very lucky. I think super, super lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, even now it's kind of crazy because think about it, we we are putting out a feature length documentary on zero budget yeah. with zero experience directing and producing. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. and now, I mean, we should talk about again later, like it has birthed into a lot bigger than just a film now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It really takes a village and... We're very thankful to, to have found the village along the <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> they took us in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah. So before we move into the, the discussion about the film, um, since this since the topic and the thesis behind the film is about uh, the creative acts in Singapore previously, like past the decades, I'm curious to know, um, what was your perspective on that before doing it? I, um, I think for me, I've been really blessed in the sense that I I tend to gravitate or hang out with older people. <laughs> I don't know if, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I think I just, um, I try to learn from people who have come before me in that sense. And I think I've been quite lucky to 
have been in or or am or currently am in different um, industries. I mean, not really industries, but different cultures. I would say like subcultures because it's quite common for like a designer, for example, um, in Singapore to be, you know, just um, hanging out with designers and just being in that designer bubble. Um, but for me, I have I have been quite um, blessed to be have to have been able to move around like the different subcultures. So I'm quite. I've been quite involved with like the music scene, like you know, just growing up, um, going to skate and and watching all those um, rock band, like post punk or rock bands come up, and um, just like in fashion as well, like streetwear, right? Like we like TYC does streetwear, and and that's all our, our different interests. Um, so I have had the opportunity to hang out with a lot of the different or the older or the, or the older guys in each industry, and. Each time, you know, when I, I hear the stories that they tell us or tell me, actually, um, it's just quite, it's just quite heartwarming to hear, you know, about like pre-internet days and how how they used to do it with like we think we have zero resources now, but back then they had like zero zero or like even more obstacles in their way. Um, so I think that that really helped shape my perspective on on why does it seem that even now with more resources. Um, the energy is quite different. Like the energy back then felt a lot more vibrant and a lot more mm. um, creative, for example. So yeah, I think it just made me think about it because for me, I, I know that um, before TYC, because when, TY, when TYC first started, we tried to, you know, we tried to look back and say like, are there any other collectives, you know, in Singapore that we could emulate or we could try to learn from? Because for the four of us starting TYC, this was a totally new experience. Again, zero experience zero idea of how to run a business and you know obviously we knew about funk um funk studio who were the og um art slash design collective that really put singapore on the map um with their work in international magazines or, or just the international design circles so but the crazy thing is that funk is 10 years our senior you know like they're a decade older than us and in this one decade there was no one else you know so it was kind of like an eye opener for for me at least. Like you mean in the past ten years, no one did anything. Like like no one came up and tried to carve their own path with friends or like you know because when we when we started TYC, it just felt very natural, right? Um, we were graduating from Thomasic Poly. You know, we 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 had um, we majored in illustration, and back then the the standard um, route was that you graduate from design course, you you become a designer in, a, in an ad agency, and you climb up to a junior art director, senior art director, you know, and it, it, it just wasn't what we wanted for ourselves. So it just felt really natural to like, you know what, let's just come together to form a creative collective and try to make money with your friends. I mean, that, that seemed the most natural. Um, so it was kind of crazy, like thinking back, like 10 years ago, you mean no one else did that. So I think it was, um, it was quite, it was quite important for us to tell these stories, you know, and hopefully inspire like the new people coming up that actually, there is that there is um ways that you can work around um creating your own stories and, and creating your own path in in your career if you if you don't have something that you want to do like just make it yourself so i that was my perception you know like no one really did anything for the past 10 years like i'm sure that the, the in the 90s there was so many things going on because i know of like um bands like like the whole energy of of rock bands that, or indie bands that came out in the 90s but in the early 2000s, I mean, it just felt like it was a date, like it was kind of like date. So 
so I think for this um, project, it was almost a learning journey for myself, like going back and talking to more people outside of my periphery, you know, like just not just friends, but friends of friends and just trying to understand what was uh, what was it about like the 90s or like even the early the, the late 80s where that really helped propel the Singapore creative scene forward and what what kept it back or, or what um, and then what pushed it forward again, for example, mm. because when we started TYC, you know, we had a lot of people saying, these guys are the new funk, you know, these, these guys are, are the new generation of creatives. So it's just kind of like, you know, a journey of like learning what keeps us going, what inspires us as a, as a culture, you know, as, a, as like a creative community. Yeah. What about you? Mm. How to beat that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a competition. <laughs> Is it not? <laughs> what do you mean? I came in as a competition. Okay, just kidding. Um, I think for me personally, I've always been very curious about the idea of creative heritage in Singapore. And I think that's not a concept that we talk about a lot here. How would you define that? I think it's just as easy as, even as straightforward as like, oh, who was the Jason Pollock of Singapore? Or okay. who was the Miles Davis of Singapore? Or who was the Joy Division or whatever? You know, um, yeah, all these things, right? Um, and I think that the fact that it was so hard to conjure up any name locally was always a bit of a question mark. Like, why why is this? Why is this the case? Why is it so difficult, et cetera? Obviously, bearing in mind that um, there was pre-internet days, so you don't get a lot of this documentation. But I think interestingly, at that point of time, I was doing an agency project where I was just going around interviewing um, like 70 over creatives about their creative outlook in Singapore. So I uh, just spoke to a bunch of people. And I think one of the questions that we asked was um, who their influences were. And I think what really stood out to me was everyone just name dropped people that were from like US, Japan, mm. Korea, or um, Australia, even or whatever. And I was like, hey, how come there's no one local that anyone actually name dropped? So I'd like Dion say, you know, I think TYC was the only one who said funk. Um, and everyone else just basically referenced someone else. And and I think that was also another strange part. I was like, okay, how come, you know, locally, um, there isn't anyone that people look up to um, in that sense? So I think just being generally quite curious about the origins of things I started to wonder like like where where is this hole in our information um where is this gap so I think very much like what Dion said uh, this entire journey was such a big learning curve for me because I don't think this information I would have found online because I probably mm. wouldn't know where to start looking yep um yeah so yeah very very thankful for this journey but um I think I started off just going like something wasn't right because it just felt like there wasn't it was like a black hole of information. That sounds terrible. <laughs> so what do you guys find out then? Why is there, it seems to be that there's a gap in, mm. I guess, uh, the common understanding as to who who are these creative like heroes like in, in Singapore's past and history? What do you guys find out throughout the, the, the process of the documentary? So much. <laughs> we Too found much. out <laughs> so, so much. much. Okay. Yeah. I think at the start of the journey, we knew that... Um, the research was going to be immense. So we, hmm. we, I think we were quite deliberate in the areas of focus that we wanted to, to, to look into for the film. So we ended up with design, fashion, streetwear, um, graffiti, music, underground music, and lifestyle. So that was like Zook and places that brought people together. Why these categories? Or what other categories did you guys omit? Mm. I, think, I think for us, it was... It was just like the lowest hanging fruit in a way 
because I think for me personally, um, like these four, like these four almost like pillars, right? That we we try to frame the documentary around. These were people that I personally knew, mm. so I I knew that I wouldn't have any or much trouble getting access to to this. Um, so it was like design illustration, obviously, um, fashion lifestyle, graffiti, and music. So I think we had to create a framework just to um, have something to work within. If not, I think there's so many things that we could cover, you know, I mean, there's like photography, there's like film, there's like skateboarding, there's like, it's just nonstop. Like Singapore is such a rich um, underground culture that um, people are not, are not um, familiar with. So I think this four pillars or, and, and the additional um, point of places, for example, like Zook and, substation for example um these were just things that we felt were enough at this point in time to portray a good overview of how the culture was back in the day because i think all this culture really um, bloomed for example bloomed in the 90s um, and we felt that there hasn't been any local project that has shown or has showcased the culture as a whole mm. right because you know you have you have books on like singapore design you have books on you have a short documentary on zook for example but these are all just very um uh, singular like they just showcase um the topic itself but mm. we felt that what we could bring to the table like something fresh or something new was like a documentary that showed the creative spirit across all these four different mm cultures or subcultures so i think we we do i mean once the doc documentary is over i think we we have talked about going deeper into each one like where we can cover more and even ex adding um, more subcultures to the list um but i mean that's just in the pipeline or, or in in the future but yeah we felt that having this fall would help us frame like our approach a lot better than going in like blind and, and yep. having so many things to yep. to research yeah Mm. But we also know we're barely scratching the surface. Uh, yeah. What was the previous question? So after uh, selecting these different categories, what came next? We started mapping out people that could be pivotal characters in each of these disciplines, as mm. we call it. So we started speaking to our friends, our network to go like, hey, what were the what were the key players in design? What were the key players in graffiti? And and from there, are really expanding the list. And I think we spent, so this project has been like almost two and a half years in the working. So I think we spent almost a, a good like few months going around talking to people, just really understanding what happened um, on an industri industry level in a sense, like what were the key things that happened? Um, what were the main um, bands that came along? What were the na main names? What were the milestones that we needed to be aware of? And then we went to do our own library research. Wow. Yeah, so we went to like read up on old articles, old mm -hmm. magazines, um, everything. But I think that was really just the point where we were trying to educate ourselves on what were the potential um, angles or the potential stories that we can tell. Because at that point, I think we knew, I knew not much. I didn't know much. I mean, he probably had his stories from his friends. So we're really trying to piece together like a timeline yep. <laughs> of sorts um, before we went into any form or format of the film yeah i mean at the, at the same time when we were doing the research we were also looking for collaborators right like mm -hmm. just um piecing together who we could bring on board you know who would be down to to um 
to to see our vision and and help us try to do something or create something fresh in Singapore together. And I think, yeah, I think everything worked out like in the sense where we had, you know, we had um, our our good friends from um, Amok, like a production company, they came in to help out with um, the filming and the equipment. I mean, so so it, it's really quite a it's quite a serendipitous like journey, right? Because what happened was I was talking to a friend about this. And I was like, you know what? I I don't know. We don't really know how much it's going to cost to hire someone, you know, and all the equipment and everything. So one of my friends was like, why don't you use, why don't you guys check out with Amok, like this really good production studio um, that does like documentary work. Um, you know, they came. I think they came from the indie band scene as well. So they were like, you know, they might they might just um, um, like fuck with your vision for example, and 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 they might just um do it because they want to create something or they see what you guys are trying to do. So I, was, I, so I, okay, I asked my friend, give me their number, I'll give them a call. So I called them, I was like, hey, you know, I got your number from who and who. Um, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a documentary that showcases all these cultures, you know, all these things and, and this is our vision, this is what we want to do. We, we hope that this will inspire the next generation of Singaporean creatives that you can create even in Singapore because Singapore has a stigma, right, of not being um, really um, conducive for the arts. So, so um, the guys from Amok were like, okay, yeah, we're down. Like on the phone, they were like, okay, we're down, but you know, um, we can supply the equipment because they they own all their equipment. Um, we can supply the director of photography. We can help out with the, the directing mm. and the sound. And but they were like, but you know what? We can't. I don't think we have the resources to help you guys edit mm. edit the film. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, thanks, thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll find an I'll find an editor. So after that, we put on the phone. I called my other friend who runs No Average Joe another production house that also really, really good documentary work. So I was like... This is a tale of Dion's Black Book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, you know, um, I called him. I was like, hey, hey Joe, um, you know, this is the same thing. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to... Um, this is what we want to put out. This is what we want to inspire the next generation of creatives with, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we got Amok on board. Amok can help with all the filming and everything, but, you know, we need an editor. And they're like, oh, you, got, you guys got Amok? Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll edit. You know, so it's really, it's really so, it was quite surreal just seeing how everyone came in together to, to offer their services for this. Because like, like what, what, like what we mentioned, we had no experience with like film and production, you know, so um, that was just the, uh, the filming and the editing. And then we got our friends to um, Fox who said that he would come on, come on and do the soundtrack for it. You know, we got, we got the guys from Homeground Studios saying they would help to master and, and do all the audio, mm. um, levels and fixing so yeah we got Yun Ting to do design Russell yeah. illustration John and Denise now to do animation basically everybody and I think at that point it was a very reassuring journey because I think it was at the, at the start it was just the two of us going like yeah we have this crazy idea we want to do this and then I think at each step of the way when we spoke to all these new people and we told them what we wanted to do with zero experience and mm. I was like yeah okay we really believe in what you're doing and we think, think it's necessary and I think over time it just became very yeah it was just really reassuring that okay we're actually onto something you know because all of them were like our peers so at some point we were actually saying this is almost like our generation um, tribute tribute to <laughs> the last generation in a way so mm. kind of emulating that same spirit of DIY and bootstrap in that sense so it was yeah a very humbling experience as a as a tangent, um, as 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 Dion was sharing, um, where or how did you guys find the confidence slash courage to present your ideas when you guys had 
nothing more than just a vision. Have you met Dion? <laughs> no. Dion speaks with a conviction for everything. <laughs> okay, must be the church background. <laughs> yeah, so how and why, yeah. Um, why Why do you think that the the, the, the the people and the collaborators that you have on mm. the film were so willing to to give their time and their resources to, to aid in this particular uh, vision? Yeah. Mm. I think you might have to ask them. <laughs> what was it that Dion said that got used to say yes over the phone? But I guess <laughs> even, even between you two mm. to, to come together to do uh, something like this as a tribute to the, the to to the history of, of Singapore's creative scene. Mm. You guys had no experience mm. uh, doing production or filming or any of the sort, but you guys were constantly motivated to to do it. So is it because you guys feel like you guys are doing something bigger than yourself and this needs to happen, or what was it? Yeah, because I, I don't yeah. think because I, I would imagine if it's a two and a half year process, I think it's safe to assume that there were times where it seemed really difficult. Oh, all the time. Precisely. So <laughs> so what kept you guys, okay, we have to get this out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, at least for, for, for me and Hui, I think, um, I think it could be the way we, we view things or the way we approach things because like I said, we are really task slash solution oriented, right? So for me, um, or, or for us, we saw that this documentary, we, we both agreed, like it's something that we should put out and, and you know, we should do it. It has not been done before. Um, and I think the both of us, we were quite um, enamored with the idea of putting out like a film, like, right? I mean, because it's something that we both have never done before. So I think um, the both of us had the conviction already, right? We both wanted to do this. And for me, it would be like, I'm just going to get it done, right? Like if Amok said no, then I would have to. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I just gotta find. I just gotta find what I need to to get it done, right? So I think it was really just sharing um, the vision of what we had and just seeing who wants to come along for the ride. Um, I mean, even we had so many talks with like government agencies, for example. Uh. Um, you know, and it's all about trying to get them to follow, to to see the vision. Um, so funny story because TYC we had some correspondence with quite a senior. Um, a senior executive at at Singapore Tourism Board, you know. So I I think I wrote in a few times just asking if they want to hear our idea and seeing whether you know what they can do to support. Because like I said, I had no idea how this how production works. Right, I'm just trying to imagine what works and trying to <laughs> learn along the way. So so I um SCB didn't get back um for a couple of weeks, and then I I I traced back the email that TYC was was in and. Um, the person had a had a hotline under her name, like a, in a signature. So I literally called her up, like just a cold call. She was like, "Hello, who is this?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, you mean this is Dion? This is uh, I'm from TYC. We talked to we talked a while over email. Um, you know, we I'm, I'm currently working on a separate project. Um, this is what we want to do. I feel like this um, is really in line with passion made possible, right? In Singapore, because that's what you were always talking about, like trying to." trying to sell the idea that it is possible to follow your passion in Singapore, which is technically what we are trying to do with our documentary. And I just laid out to her everything on the on, on the call. And she was like, oh my God, like that's, that's really cool. Um, like, like um, let's set up a call. And and I think she, at first she was quite, she was quite um, reluctant, I guess to commit obviously um, over the phone. And I said like, you know what? Um, I'm not trying to brag, but I don't think anyone else can do this documentary besides us. Right, because with the connections that we have, it's like you know we got like Najib Ali, we got like Chris Ho, we got like so many friends of friends, and they wouldn't just do this for anyone, yep. you know. Yep. So I was like, I was like, I was just trying to like 
close the deal, I was just like, you know, um, there's not no one trying else. to break. <laughs> I literally <laughs> said that. I was breaking. like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to break, but <laughs> you have one shot to be in this to be involved in this documentary, yep. right? Yep. Um, so I think it was really just the the idea that, and I think for me as well, I've gotten really used to rejection. For example, right? Like when if someone says no, I'll be like, oh, like maybe people might get offended or like they'll get demoralized. But for me, I'm like, whenever I hear a no, I'm like fuck that I'm just I'm out. if it's not you then it's not you I'll go to find you someone else you don't take it personally yeah right? I don't take it personally I just take it as okay I mean I'm just gonna get it done somehow um, if you don't wanna do it then I will I will make extra effort to make sure that you regret it mm. <laughs> almost mm. in a sense yep. um, so yeah. very healthy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not toxic <laughs> <laughs> manipulate I don't know yeah, welcome to Dion's red book <laughs> burn book burn book but I, oh. I think it was just the idea of like um, and I think we, I guess it was quite reassuring as we said that people that mm. um, they felt what we wouldn't do and, and I think I think maybe it's something that people wanted to do before but you know it was just never the because you have so many you have to have so many things um, working together to put it to make yep. it out right yep. so maybe just took someone with enough conviction and enough um, passion <laughs> and resources to bring everyone together to make just it just a little bit crazy enough to do it though. a little bit yeah, yeah, I mean, when when yeah. we when we talked to our filmmaking friends, they were all like, "Are you sure?" Because um, I think which which brings me to the second second point. I don't know if I'm like digressing too much, but I feel like it's a very important concept of having a beginner's mind. What What does that mean? Like, um, you know, if you go into something um, thinking that you know everything, um, sometimes it hinders your growth, right? So, I mean, there's this term. Um, I think it's Zen Buddhism or something like that, where, where I read about like an empty cup. You know, you, you got to go in and try to fill up that cup. But if your cup is full already, you just overflow. Like you, nothing, will, you won't retain anything. So I think, um, and, and for me personally, that's how I try to approach things. That's why I think I am not, um, I am not afraid to do things I have zero experience in, which is could be a good thing because, you know, now knowing the amount of effort that, that we took to do up this documentary. I'm like, if you ask me to do it now, I'm like, uh, <laughs> maybe not. Okay. But back then, and and obviously our filmmaking friends, they knew, yep. right? They knew how much, but to me, or to, to me and Hui, at least it was like, I mean, I see a clear path for it. You know, you got a vision, you get a crew, you go and record, you put everything together. Okay, what? <laughs> you know? So it was, but I mean, obviously going through it now, I'm like, oh shit, like all yep. these stupid licenses, all these things that we need to deal with. Yep. Um, but, it was just the idea of um, having, like, knowing what we want to do and just trying to find ways to get there and not being afraid of, you know, or, or not being afraid of not knowing, mm. but kind of like just having an open mind to continue learning along the way. Yeah. As a tension, who or what taught you this particular philosophy that seems to be so entrenched in your frame, frame of mind? I don't know. Um, I think it was... I really don't know. I must have came. I must have come across it really long ago because that philosophy has like spurred me to do a lot of things, right? Like even TYC, right? Even when we started TYC together, it was yeah. I mean, we had zero experience of running a business. We had zero um, experience invoicing a client, chasing for late payment. Zero experience of like how to find work, um, but we did it anyway. But if you ask me now, would I start another creative agency? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, the answer is probably no. 
And, you know, even when Death Threats, right? When Death Threats started, when I started that vintage store, it was like, I never had, I'd never done um, a brick and mortar store before, right? But it just felt like, why not? You know, like I have a space, um, I have stuff that I want to sell. I have stuff that I can bring in and sell. Like, there's a gap. I mean, back then when we started Death Threats, no one else was doing it, right? And we came in at a time when it, it was booming. Basically, the hype was growing. So, and even with, my side projects like I ran or I am running like a small sambal business on the side. Like I've never done F&B before, right? But I was like, okay, what? Get someone to sell, <laughs> right? Like get someone to sell like something dope. I would buy it. I'm sure my friends would buy it. Let's just sell it, mm. you know? So I think then obviously the documentary or even the talk that we did, we have never organized a talk before. So I think it's really just the idea of you just do it. There's nothing, um, there's nothing to stop you but yourself, right? Yep. If you you, you got to start something and then you just got to learn from people who have done it before. So even for the Sambal business that I was doing, um, the F&B, I was talking to my friends in the F&B businesses, right? Like meeting up with um, Dre from Park Bench Daily, yep. right? And just trying to tap on other people's experiences to to grow and to learn what's the right way, yep. quote unquote, the right way to do things. So I, know, I'm, I'm, I think it was, I might not have read it way back, but I might have read it um, later and it resonated with me I was like oh you know what yeah that, that is how I live my life so I don't know I think it was just something that I don't know I don't know where it came from good good, good, good question it's it's interesting <laughs> you mention all these different examples because um, I'm curious to know if do you attach an emotional uh, response to when you want to try something new like does the 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 fact that you you can see the the idea and the vision played out so clearly in your head. Does that motivate you more? Because I can imagine that the, the same scenario as someone wants to try something uh, that is perhaps out of their comfort zone. But when an emotional response come in, there is fear. You you think about different things and you don't act on it. But it seems as though based on uh, what you mentioned about the different businesses and the things you have tried, it spurs you on more to actually go and attain it. Okay, I think yeah. I mean, I just gotta gotta put something out um, that I don't. I would never take solo credit for anything, right? I think what 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 keeps me going is that if I have an idea, I will make sure that I'm surrounded by or at least have someone that I can do it with, right? So even for the vintage store, I would never have done it, but I reached out to a, to someone that I never knew on Carousel selling vintage clothing. Mm. I was like, hey, like your stuff um, kind of vibes with what I'm selling. Um, why don't you come for a chat? I have an idea to open a store. You know? On carousel, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, and even for for um the sambal, right? I was like, I, I, I needed to have someone that knew what they were doing. Mm. And I think that's how I I approach things. I if I if I'm not confident, if I'm doing something that I'm not familiar with, I make sure that I'm surrounded by people who are. Um and similarly for the documentary for the talk, like stacking stones, I would never have I would never have done the talk. I would have never done a documentary if I didn't have Hui with me. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I would never claim credit that I did it myself like because I would never have done it without people who believed in me or believed in the vision. Um, and I think that's how I keep myself accountable knowing that it's not just me involved in this. I have to make it work for the other parties involved. Mm. Um, and for me, I, I, I know it's it's quite a, um, quite a funny thing but <laughs> I think my approach is that when I have something that I am working on, I try to tell as many people as possible mm. to keep myself accountable. Interesting. 
because I know I mean I've, I've always come across like um, ideas that oh don't tell anyone we are doing until it's out but for me I feel like I'm, I'm the opposite like the more I put it out in the world like the more I feel like Okay, now I've told enough people. I need to make this happen. If not, it'll look bad if I don't. Yep, <laughs> you yep. know. So that's my motivation to keep going. So, well. so you found this particular way, I guess, gamifying it, and it works for you, la. Yeah, like psychologically. Yep. Like I'm like, okay, shit. Um, I let's say I I I tell someone that I really look up to about this documentary. Yep. And then now I think back, I'm like, okay, shit. I I I need to keep my <laughs> I I need to get it done so that this person won't be like, ah, this guy just gives up. Yep. So I think that's how I try to motivate myself mentally to that's get it done. That's an interesting trick to to play on yourself to actually achieve something. Yeah. 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 So do you resonate with what no, he said? No, I was going to say, funnily enough, that's actually one of our biggest difference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so yeah. what's the difference there? I'm the kind that would be like, don't tell anyone until you've perfected it or until you've finished it or you have something to show. Yep. And I think funny, because I'm totally like that with this documentary. I think for a long time, I only told like a, a small group of friends, but then he was like telling everybody about it. He was going all like PR mode about it. <laughs> and I think one time he posted something on his Instagram and he said, he actually thought in the back of his head, die, who is going to scold me? Because <laughs> I'm posting Because <laughs> I'm just like, why about? are you posting these things? No, no, I think it's just funny because I, I for Instagram, I, I try to, um, I try to post things in the spur of the moment, sure. right? It's called Instagram, not Littergram, right? Oh. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that's how I, that's, because for Maybe me- Maybe it's called Planogram. <laughs> you must thought of that for quite and a while. He waited, he waited for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like Planogram. But, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, basically I, I do have like, whenever I feel like posting something, I do it because I feel like it's very genuine. Like I can come up with some like emotion to get me and get people hyped about it. So I think there's this one time where I was just watching because I think we were doing a few um, edits. edits on the on the on the on the cuts. Um, I think it was the third cut. Um, but back but by the third cut we already had the, the title open, cut. Yeah, the opening sequence, yeah. um, the animated opening sequence um, put in. So I was watching it again. I was like, oh my god, this is dope. Like, and, and I think just as a side note, like I think we're doing something right because I've watched the documentary so many times, and each time I'm like, I I I finished the documentary feeling inspired again mm. Mm, okay um so after i watch the documentary i'm like i need to share this i need to share this information like this this feeling right so i i think i just um i recorded on my phone um the title sequence <laughs> like the it starts with um odd fella so happy jing, 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 and then like the classics come out i'm like oh my god this is so it's uh, uplifting so i posted it i'm like forget it i think who's gonna score me for this <laughs> i just wanna i just wanna put it out there yep yep and i said i was like yeah of course dion did that but it's okay yeah <laughs> but i think to his point about watching it every time and being inspired i think to your earlier question <laughs> why we stay motivated my sec weighing back to the question um i think i think when we're doing the research part i think when we started off, it was very much like a hypothesis, like, ah, this is what we want to try and see mm. whether we can gather anything around it. And then during the whole research part, when we just got so much information and all these stories, I think it always just felt like a shame that it ended with us if we didn't continue. For me personally, I was just like, no, we cannot just be the only two people or only few people that know about this. So that just kept going on and on until like every time we tell our friends or our people who are working on it, like snippets of the stories and everyone just gets really excited about it. And I think that's how we knew we were onto something. Um, and for me personally, that's been something that just kept me going, even though 
when you have to do transcribing for like 60 interviews, it's yep. a lot of work. I honestly hated myself at that point. I was just like, why am I doing this to myself? But I think every time I get to the end of the, the interview transcript, I'm just like, okay, I cannot, it cannot die with me. You know, it cannot just sit on my computer. It actually needs to become something. So I think that's how we kept going for two and a half years and it's still going in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's always, you just got to find ways to motivate yourself um, to keep going I think one just to draw a parallel with like TYC for example because I, I remember just in the very early days of TYC I remember telling um, the four of us right like we, we we can't give up or we gotta make sure that this succeeds because um, TYC is already back then it was already being perceived as successful right we, we, we've been getting consistent corporate gigs we are slowly getting the name out getting a good following and I, I just felt very strongly that if we don't succeed, that would be a blow to the Singapore creative scene. That would set an example to like younger creatives that if TYC could fail, like what's to what's to motivate me to even try? You know? So I think that was at least for me, like one motivation to always keep pushing and always keep going because it and I believe that the vision always has to be bigger than yourself. Right? Like even for the documentary, it's not just about me and we doing it. Mm. A, a, a debut film right like a feature length film is not just it it's so much more like if we could remove ourselves from it I would because yeah. like we don't even, it's not even us in the in the spotlight right it's not about no. oh this is Dion and Huy's or oh, their directors first time directors and all but it's really like the vision right like Singapore has always been seen as a country that's not conducive for the arts but hopefully after watching this film you see like oh shit there is there is room for creative for creativity to thrive like in spite of all the obstacles you yeah. know and that's I think something that we felt really strongly and that's what kept us going yeah and it's quite shook when we show our friends like the raw edits like quite not great version and our friends watching it after watching they go like, I feel like I want to go make something now and you go yeah actually that's the that's the feeling you want people to have and we're just glad it's not just the two of us and we're not just you know blowing our own horn but it's actually something yep so yeah so, circling back to what Dion said earlier about speaking to government bodies, um, do you feel that there is a dissonance between how they are responding to this between uh, when, you, when you share it with your peers, you get a different type of energy from it? Is there like a difference? Yes. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because I think when we, when we present ideas to them, they as people are excited about it. I think they understand that it's an exciting project and no one has actually done something like that before. But then when you hit the red tapes around it, then that's when the excitement died very quickly. Mm. And I think just to be completely honest, I was super disheartened by the entire like um entire journey of speaking to all this government government bodies because the amount of reasons we get from them to not fund us. And you would think that it made sense because it was about Singapore, Singapore's culture, Singapore's heritage, all of this like multidisciplinary things, the arts, etc. Um tourism things um but it was just very disheartening when they said like oh it doesn't fit my kpi this mm. is not in my um it's not my, my remit it it it's oversteps into someone else's boundaries blah 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 and you just realize ah this is why people think that singapore's dead mm. in terms of the creative culture yep um and then we're just like it's fine it's fine like, we'll just find our own way to work around it but i think that's why i was like yes and no i think that people wanted to support it but they just couldn't under this current tapes yep mm. so I'm curious to know if your view of Singapore has changed throughout the, the process of the film 
because that has often been said that Singapore is not very conducive. Mm. In fact, if, 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 if you actually want to be successful in Singapore, it's, it's the, the game plan is actually to go overseas, get your success yeah. and, and they'll welcome you back with yep. open up. I mean, look at the predecessors in, I think, uh, I think Mandel Pop, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of what they did. So to, 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 to do a documentary film to showcase that there has been creative heroes in Singapore, I think that's, quite a feat. I'm curious to know if your perspective has changed because based on what we just said, mm. it's kind of expected. Like mm. there's all this red tape, the bureaucracy and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm just curious to know your both of your perspective. Can creativity thrive in Singapore? <laughs> I think <Wow. laughs> I think it can, right? I like can. I I mean even right now I I get so inspired by like the new generation of creatives like coming out to you know, now with um, COVID or the pandemic almost over, I hope, with things all opening up, um, or even even during then, actually, like, I think there's a new wave of creatives, you know, just coming up with, um, you know, just putting on their own shows, um, coming together to rent a creative space to do an exhibition, um, just people, curators, more and more curators coming up to, like, sell vintage items or even, like, antiques and, you know, just new streetwear um, brands coming up I think to, to be honest I mean it's small for sure but I do try as much as possible to keep an eye on what's going on so I have been really inspired to be honest like lately um, about what has been going on you know like my good friend um, John um, who runs Death Threats with me you know he's blowing up like he's he's, he's in Canada now um, working with some of the the most relevant designers you know in, in like globally so, I mean, there's so many opportunities for creativity to thrive. I think, I think to be honest, what's stopping or what's hindering it is really just ourselves. What do you mean by that? Because I know, I know, we talked about like um, government bodies having red tips and all, but they don't control creativity, right? If NEC doesn't fund your EP album, would you stop doing it? You know, if if you do, then are you going to let? your expression be dictated by gov- like government bodies who do not know about art mm-hmm. or like, yeah. So I think it's really, there is opportunity opportunity to thrive. I mean, like look at um, the indie bands of the 90s, you know, where they where they recorded their own cassette tapes, um, just looping the, the, the music over like boom boxes and just like recording like a super shitty demo tape to send it around. There is ways for creativity to thrive. Um, it's just that are we are we able to to push ourselves to to express ourselves in that way, or are we so pragmatic and so um, and so quote unquote brainwashed to follow the the system of like nine to five and all, mm. which brings me to. Never mind. We we'll keep it for another conversation. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a fucking. I, I, it, it was. It was. It was. It was. I could feel myself segueing to Web Three, so I'm just gonna like. Oh, <laughs> I'm, wow. just, I'm just gonna leave it as that. My there. God. Okay. But yeah. Mm. Interesting. Um. Forgot what I wanted to say. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Seeing Web Three distracting. Yeah. yeah it distracted mm. me, but I'm so I'm so um I'm so passionate right about. Um, individualism and like trying to find your creative voice and trying to not let um, yourself or your creative expression be detected by your surroundings or your environment. 
you know and yeah basically yeah that that was the very tempting train of thought to stray into what um is the new way of working right um, but there's a whole different conversation. But individualism individualism is something interesting to consider in the context of Singapore because mm-hmm. it's not a descriptor I will use when thinking about Singapore. I mean, it's often a very Western uh, focus. Whereas in Singapore, at least over the course of my me living here, I think it's more of like the the community, the family unit, you have to think about every one of your peers and everything and you don't stand out. So what has influenced your what has influenced your frame of mind to think uh about individual was it like when you were interviewing these people did you get a sense that uh that was what they stood for back then yeah no i mean i mean it's always been something really close to to my heart right ever since um back in secondary school right when we were learning about i think what really influenced the decision of individualism individualism was to be honest streetwear okay Right, because at the end of the day, streetwear is what you wear. You know, whatever you wear is something that you want to be associated with, right? Because mm-hmm. it's something that you put out that you want people to. Oh, like yeah, this guy knows um, famous stars and straps, for example, which was <laughs> the brand of choice in secondary school. Mm. Um, and I think my whole, or at least for as long as I could remember, expression was always a big part of me growing up. Um, that's why I think maybe it was easy to make the jump from like, um, yeah, we're just going to start a creative studio. Oh, wait, I know the catalyst. I know, I know what. I know, Jesus? I, I know, uh, Is it the master thing? What master? No, no, no. I remember I remember very clearly the catalyst of what spurred me to, to really um, hone down on, on creating our own path. It was during the army. Okay. Where I was introduced, uh, because this was f- straight out of graduation, right? After graduating from from Tomasic Poly, going to the army, and you know, I was an officer, but I hated the job. Sure, right? Like just being in an environment where you constantly have to do something you dislike, mm. um, take orders from someone that you don't respect, wake up every day wearing the same shit. Mm. I think it was just this. Um, um, com- combination of things that I disliked that I was like, you know, like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not going to leave the army and do a corporate job. Yep. So I think, I think it was actually during the army, right? Where we were like, I got together with us. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> let's, let's, let's do this. Cause I can't imagine um, working for someone else after, after the army. Mm. So I think it was always that, that desire to, to express myself and to be, in charge of my own destiny in that way and not have someone dictate that for me. So I think that kind of carried on to um, why I value, you know, individualism so much. You 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 can't lose yourself or you can't lose your... I mean, and to be honest, it doesn't only have to be about creativity, right? Like it could be basically anything, like who you are. Mm. And I and I think something that's really big on, on, on me as a person is self-awareness, right? Like you have to be, you have to know who you are. You need to know like your values. What do you... What do you fuck with or what you what you don't fuck with and why, for example. And and just having a clear idea of who you are makes you a much more well-rounded individual. Like you know your flaws, you know your weaknesses. And that's why I feel um I'm always an advocate for like 
you doing what works best for you you know and and i think it's just sad that a lot of people nowadays they don't really know who they are and they're just going through the motion of like um working and you know saving up for what like a video and all these things so you know any any chance we get that i can push someone else to break out of the system break out of the matrix of like the quote-unquote singapore way i think that's a that's a win so anybody that i talk to i'm like yeah you know you want to do something like go for it and that's what that's the, that's what i try to embody myself i don't know what i want to do I, I don't know um what i'm doing but i'm just going to figure it out and mm-hmm. i'm just going and it's the whole journey i enjoy the whole journey i'm not chasing like a final destination of like retirement early retirement no i'm just like i'm just here for the ride you know like life is life is short enough you know and any way that we can make it a bit more enriching i think it's a win yeah so we do agree with his monologue <laughs> Welcome to. <laughs> Damn, I'm going to a lot of monologues. I, I, Dion TED Talk. I am. Wow, I wasn't. We need to change the title to this. Of this yeah, I would have. Yeah. I was not prepared to talk so much, right? Hui? I was like, I came in so yeah, mellow. Yeah, he was like, who is you talk later, okay? Like, Look at him. Excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this dive, deep dive into self awareness because it is, it is a concept not known or not taught in school. It is, it is one of those things that. Uh, hopefully you 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 realize through external circumstances and you build upon it. So I'm mm. curious to know what has helped either of you mm. with regards to uh, introspection and self-awareness? Well, we're going there. We are. Yeah. <laughs> you no, no. We, we master the... Hui <laughs> Suisse is a very introspective person. So I have learned from her a lot in that regard. So... Please. <laughs> well, I was not ready for this. Um, I don't know. I think for me, it's always been... I don't think I've always been a very introspective person, to okay. be honest. Like, I wouldn't say from the beginning of time. I think over the years, I grew to be a lot more um, because I was lucky to have a very safe support network that allowed me to do that. Because I think over the years when I grew older and I got to know more people that were also equally introspective, if not more, I think then the conversations really um, encouraged me to think about myself a lot deeper. And I think for me personally, my journey was in my early 20s. That was when I was questioning a lot about who I am as a person and my self-identity, like Dion said, um, self-awareness all sorts of that and I think from then then you know I started a lot asking a lot of questions about who what are my values um what do I believe in what grounds me what um, my favorite question to ask what do you want to be known for when you die right um and all sorts of questions and I think then over the years as I got more clarity based on the things that I was doing work or not life people etc I think that became a very important part of how I decided what I was going to do next. Mm. And I think then that just became a cycle that I realized, oh, when I knew this part of myself, I could make that decision a lot easier. Um, or um, these things were hard, still hard for me, so I still needed to to work on that part of myself, et cetera. And I think that just kept going and going and going. And then over time, I realized, okay, introspection is actually a really important thing because then it's just so important to know what you believe in as a person. Um because I think over the years after leaving advertising, I just started doing a lot of random things. I was freelancing all, all around, doing community radios, freelancing for like fashion distribution places. Yep. And um, and all of them, not 
every one of them worked out. But I think mm. in each of them, I got to know a side of me a lot better. And I think through this entire experience, I realized, okay, experimentation or just not fearing um, things that you didn't know mm. or putting yourself out there, I guess, in a way and, and just being really uncomfortable sometimes can actually help you to know yourself better over the long run. And because from there, you don't just learn what you like, but you actually learn what you don't like. Yep. And I think sometimes that's a lot more um, helpful. Just as important, yeah. Distilling um, what your principles are in a sense. So um, I think I think just over over time with all of these experiences, I realized, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how um, well certain things go. It's about how it makes you feel as a person and makes you grow as a person, right? So I think growth to me has always been very important. So it's always reflecting on, okay, the next thing I'm going to do, how, how am I going to grow as a person? How mm. is that going to help me? in the long run um, how is that going to help the people around me in the long run in that sense so that's always been my mantra in in that yeah it, it sounds as though it's been a incredible journey mm. I'm curious to know what do you decide to keep and what do you decide needs to change in my life or yeah. the documentary oh. because, I, because <laughs> I, I would imagine um, if this question would be posed to you in your early 20s mm. I, I would imagine the answer to be quite different so yeah. I'm curious to know how have you found out uh, what, what to keep and to hold on and what to change? Yeah, mm. I agree that definitely my answer would have been very different. I think in my early 20s or even late 20s, oh, I'm revealing my age here. <laughs> I think my answer would have been, ah, fuck it, let's just do everything. You know, you do it and then you learn, you leave and you learn and you just reiterate that over and over again. Um, but I think now with clarity on what grounds me, I think... Sometimes it's almost intuitive in whether something works for me or what not. What does that mean though to you? Like if say an opportunity lands on the table, I think it's a lot easier for me to go, mm, this is right for me, this is not right for me or this is something I'm actually excited about for the right reasons rather than just going, ah, it's something different, I'm going to hop into mm. it kind of vibe. But um, I think with now, um, how do I, wow, interesting question. How, what do I decide to change? I think it's a lot to growth like having a clearer idea of what I want to grow in in the next stages of my life mm. and then finding opportunities that sort of fit into that rather than just throwing shit on the wall and see what sticks is there always clarity on that because I, mm. it's, it, it's it's funny to, to to think about growth because um, with uh, with nature and biology you kind of know what things are growing into mm-hmm there's kind of like a fixed path, mm. but I think for humans, there isn't exactly like a fixed path. So is there always clarity to what you want to go no, or aspire to? Definitely not. Are you comfortable with the uncertainty? <laughs> um, depends. I think I think some days I'm a lot more comfortable with it. Some days I'm not. But I think definitely in the last couple of years, I've grown to be a lot more comfortable with it and realizing that you're not always going to know the answer. In fact, you never know the answer to anything. Like, even if you go, yeah, at this point, I'm certain this is going to work for me for whatever I want to do, um, it might not. Or if you say, no, actually, I don't really want to do it, but it actually worked out really well, sort of thing. So um, I think in that sense that I'm just, you just go in with the mentality that you just learn from what whatever you can in front of you. Um, don't really need to di- dictate what comes out of it. It's At the end of the day, it's, the learning experience. Very cliche, but it's really what you make out of an experience. Yep. Like I said, um, even if it's bad, you learn something from it. So 
a bad experience is never a bad experience. It is an experience in its own way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so what about you, Dion? What has informed or helped you in your own journey of self-awareness? I think I... To be honest, I think I've only learned the term self-awareness within the past few years. Okay. Um, but to me, what I have learned about myself is that um, I do have quite a strong um, intuition when it comes to certain things. Like, I mean, we are presented with so many choices every day, right? And I think I have learned that, um, or at least I have learned to trust my gut a lot more. Is it a metaphorical gut or an actual gut? Um, metaphorical gut. Okay. <laughs> if it's an actual gut <laughs> oh or something wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the feeling I get when I feel something's wrong, right? Maybe um, stomach ache. Uh. Yeah, like, oh. and, um, sure. But no, I mean, the, tracing back my journey as a creative person in Singapore, I feel like there were many, many times I made a decision that I had no idea of knowing whether it was the right one at the time, but it felt right. And similarly, there were a lot of times where I turned or I made decisions not to carry on with something because it felt wrong. Um, and, and I remember, I, and I think I'm quite, I'm quite, um, I'm quite stubborn in that way. Okay. I would never do something that um, if my gut tells me no. Do you have active conversations with this? God of yours. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, there's. I'm, okay, I mean, there, there are so many examples that I can pull out. Yeah. Where my gut really like helped me make decisions that right now I'm still thankful for. Mm. So, for example, I mean, the earliest I could remember because I the earliest thing that I could remember feeling so um, confident or not confident but so strongly about was when um, remember we had that that initial conversation about TYC at the coffee shop table. We had conversations about TYC at numerous coffee shop tables. <laughs> you have to be Please a little specify. bit more specific. It was, it, was the, it was a time when we were like deciding whether we should um, work on our individual selves or mm. TYC as a whole. Sure. I remember that conversation very clearly because I remember it was like 10, 11 p.m. at this coffee shop where yeah, everything's all, closed, like, all basically. the lights were off. <laughs> yeah. All the lights were off. And, 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 and I mean, it's a testament that you yourself remember it, right? To be honest, because there are so many memories you had. But certain memories stick up more than others. And I think that was one conversation where um, we were all sitting down. And I was like, I might have given a monologue then or so. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know, guys, like, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to build. If you guys want to um, pursue your own things, then what was the point of us coming together in the first place? Because back then I felt like the direction was a bit off, right? And that was my gut telling me like, it, it doesn't feel right. Or the, another time when TYC was looking for a studio, right? And I remember we went to the refinery back then when when they first started. Um, I mean, obviously, no shade to refinery, right? We're still good friends, but um, the refinery offered us um, an office space, right, to 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 work from. Um, I think it was really cheap. I think it was like 500 a month for, yep. or something. And and it was at the King George um, area um, with the with certain clauses, right? Like we had to, or we had to work um, or collaborate with someone else in the space yep. and put out something it's every a co-working month. space. Yeah, the co-working yep. space. So, um, I remember Lydia being super on for it. Like I remember she was like, oh my God, this is such a nice space. We should do it. So cheap. But I felt really strong against it. She felt strong, very strongly against it because I was like, do we really want to start off TYC being in a co-working space under someone else? Right? Because um, back then it was like, if we went into the refinery ecosystem, for example, 
um, that would be what we will be remembered by. Mm. Um, TYC under someone else, you know, and back then I was like, no, we got to start off strong. We got to start off by ourselves. We got to find a way that we can make our name for ourselves and not um, almost use someone else to bring us up because I feel like that would, um, that would be a disservice to what we're trying to build. So I was like, nah, we're not going to do it. Like, and, and I remember it was so strong because I had that feeling right after we stepped out. I was like, nah, even we are, I'm, I'm not going to agree to that. Um, and we didn't. And shortly after, we found the space at Tanjung Katong. And I mean, we've been here for eight years. Imagine if we were still under refinery, who knows what would have happened. Mm. Um, and even the time when, when, when I was running death threats, right? And it was so loosely put together. We we're like this four bunch of like people who like t-shirts, right? And and the two of our two of our guys were leaving. One was going to Australia to study medicine. The other one was migrating to New Zealand. And I was like, I don't think I can do it alone with someone else. I mean, with just one person. So I asked our good friends from back then. We were running Robin Hood Goods. That were Justin and John. And you know we had the same kind of like vibe, the, the same type of creation. Um, we collaborated on a few pop-ups together. I was like, I was like, okay, this feels right. I'm going to ask them to join their threats. So I remember I reached out to them. I said, hey guys, I got a business proposition for you. And it felt right because there were so many people that we could choose from. Mm-hmm. But with John and Justin, it felt like the right decision. Then like my gut was like, yeah, this is right. So I got them in. I was like, okay, um, I know you guys are running Robin Hood Goods. Um, you guys have like 2,000-ish followers. Dev Threats back then had like maybe like 11, 12K. I was like, you know, we can't do this ourselves. Um, I think you guys would be great to build Deathstrats together. Um, you can use our existing followers to grow Robin Hood goods, for example. And they were like, yeah, let's let's do it. And right now they're still running it after four years. Yep. So I think that's just my intuition leading me along the way. And only, and it was only in recent years that I'm like, oh, is this what they call self-awareness? Like, I don't know, but it, it, it felt like it resonated with me. And I was like, even with a documentary, even with everything that I've done, like it would be everything that's felt right. So yeah, I think it's more of just understanding that this term exists and just being a bit more aware of like catching this guy. I'm like, yeah, I think after seven, eight years, I feel like I think my gut has done <laughs> has done me well. Stand and up job. Uh. It's got it's got uh Dion's gut is a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dion's How are you feeling gut about this? <laughs> Dion's eight ball like <laughs> So yeah. so it's not anything I would say scientific or tangible or anything. It's just a, a sense uh, some ephemeral feeling that either at the present or when reflecting about things that it stands out to you yeah yeah okay yeah very cool <laughs> i don't want to continue from that <laughs> it's meta it's a bit meta but taking the segue back to the documentary um right. i'm curious to know what surprised you about the people that you got on the, the different guests yeah and is there what have you noticed in common with the different generations or is there any differences hmm Surprised me. What surprised? <laughs> I, I thought we I thought we mentioned this before. Did we? Um, I oh, think it surprised so us. Ago. Right. I think something that surprised us was, um, how many of the people that we interviewed were so um, almost touched or touched or, mm-hmm. um, touched that we were doing this. Yeah. So in all the interviews, so context. Actually, we, did we explain what the documentary is about? this <laughs> bits and pieces ah, okay yeah. so it's for, for people to infer ah, okay. yeah. oh fun and they're like is this an existential documentary <laughs> <laughs> on self-awareness but um for context a lot of the people we interviewed were 
creative pioneers in the 90s, right? So they're all maybe like 50s or late 40s right now. So the 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 most constant question we get from them when we interview them for the film is, why are you guys doing this? Mm. And they ask with a genuine curiosity, like, why guys, actually, why are you young people doing this? Because this is like way, be- way before your time, right? And then when we explain it to them, they are just like, oh, oh, they're really thankful that, you know, someone's actually documenting this story. Someone's actually taking time to to do all of these things. And it was just, yeah, it was quite surprising that they were that thankful in a sense um so so i was like okay quite cute to see like people who could be your father going like oh thanks for telling my story kind of like and i think for me what was quite surprising was because we interview a lot of the people from the punk scene mm. and i think speaking to like designers punk uh, punkers punkers um djs or music musicians and whatever i realized the punks were the most sentimental and still the most angry people to this point because okay. you would think that you know maybe they're f- they're old they're a bit more mellow but if if when you if when you talk to them even at this point they are still angry at the system they're still angry at you know how unjust the world is etc and you just feel like oh they really truly embody the punk attitude to that and and just like basically all of this amazing quotes that we hear from them about so hi yeah so hi me quote so hi like one of the OG rockers right like he started um he started stomping ground. Um, youth crew hardcore yeah he brought youth crew hardcore to Singapore and he just he has so many quotes like we were just like when we were transcribing we were like okay we need to put this in the trailer or what Mm. but there was one quote where I think stuck in my mind he was like it's not passion it's an obsession you know and And he was like it's not about impression it's it's about about self-expression yeah yeah he said right now like with social media social media and everything um, the new generation is like it's all about impressions Mm -hmm. but for them back then, it was all about expression. Mm. What's the difference, though? Like, I guess impression. You're you're more concerned with how people view you, mm-hmm. like how like how you put yourself out. Um, you're just trying to impress people. Yeah. Whereas self expression is just for yourself. Mm. You're just doing it because you have this each that you want to scratch. You yep. just need to shout. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's very really surprising. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I think I think it was just interesting to hear that the stories then were so consistently about just them wanting to do something. Just them wanting to have fun, wanting to write a song, wanting to send out a message, wanting to just do something that was different. And it wasn't for anybody. It was literally just for themselves. It wasn't because they wanted to be successful. It wasn't mm-hmm. because they wanted to set up a studio to earn all this money um, or get a recording label, anything. But it was just, yeah, it was just this almost... How do I say it? It's just, yeah, it's just, they just really want to create. And I think that was a very refreshing thought to, to hear from all of them in that sense. Yeah. yeah. We, we we talked about this idea of the creative spirit of Singapore. So after uh, interviewing these people and doing up the film and everything, what, how how would you define the creative spirit of Singapore then? So, so finally, we asked every interviewee, like we end up the interview with, um, we ask we ask them to complete the sentence, right? So we said Singapore's creative culture is, and we just let them say whatever they want. So it was quite interesting to see um, how varied the answers were. So mm. some of it was like, uh, some of them were like Singapore creative scene is dead. Sure. Uh, and then literally the next interview is like Singapore's creative creative culture is booming. Mm. <laughs> so it was like okay, it's really happening. It's like yeah, it's always evolving. Yeah. Um, and but I think for me. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would go with the sentiment that it's evolving. 
Um, Evolving from what to what? Like, basically back then, um, it's just the method of creation and the method of self-expression because back then they they tried to create with whatever little they had, you know? But right now, in this era of like, when everyone is a content creator, um, how do you how do you stand out and how do you um, tell your message, basically? So I think there was something that William from Funk Studio said that um, he said, creatives watching this documentary shouldn't try to emulate what we're doing or what we have done because it's a whole different time now. You know, they got to find their voice and, and find what speaks to them. Back then they did um, whatever they did because it was the spirit of that time. But I think as a creative in Singapore, even for myself, right, it's like, how do we... Um, look at what uh, what's out there and how do we do something different um, or how do you create something different so and and you know what like in a meta form this was, that was actually how we started the documentary right because we looked at it and we're like this is something that's missing this is something that no one has done so let's try to create something that addresses that mm. and who knows maybe um, someone watching the documentary would be like man this isn't enough like they barely scratch the surface like how do we tell or how do we go deeper in that and then someone else might create something from that. Yep. You know? So it's really just how do you find your voice or how what do you want to create and what do you want to say? I think that's really what the creative culture should be. And not just that, but actually having um the tenacity to get it done, to execute. Right? Because a lot of times people are like, I'm sure the documentary, I mean, I'm sure an idea for a documentary about Singapore's creative scene has been Right, it's not. I, I can't. We can't be the first two to, to come out with this over like Singapore's many years, right? <laughs> if it was, then it'd be very sad, la. Yep. But I mean, we it could have been just we are the ones who, who managed to get it done, right? So I think it's just what you want to create and how do you actually visualize it and put it out in the world. Yeah, not so much of like, oh yeah, they used to they used to burn their own CDs, so now we should do it. <laughs> but mm. like, how do you use whatever resources you have right now with? you know, TikTok and Twitter and like all this media to, <laughs> my thought just went to Web3 again. But <laughs> how do you- You want to have the, the 10 minute monologue to talk about Web3, we can all just- Yeah, that's fine. This is a documentary. This is a documentary yeah, podcast, guys. at the end. Yeah, yeah. This is a documentary Stay. podcast. Anyway, this is my first time on Cosmic Children, so I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I think you just invite him back. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Featuring Dion Poir. Yeah. Yeah. You featuring Dion Poir from TYC, featuring Dion Poir, uh, Web3 advocate, Dion Poir. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Is that how do you create, how do you create with whatever's around you? I think that's, that's what I want to say. That's it. <laughs> Full stop. Mm, I think, interestingly, when I think about it, the first word that came to my mind was um, bootstrap. But what does that word mean to you? I feel bootstrap to me is always trying to make things happen with whatever little you have and just pulling in whatever resources you have. Right? I think to me, that kind of emulates the Singapore creative culture, both back then and now, because um, back then it was very much like they didn't have anything. They didn't have a scene. They didn't have um, the, the infrastructure to do anything. So they just did it by themselves. Photocopy things, recorded their own songs, designed their own shit. And I think even with now, um, with this common understanding that it's it's hard to do big, huge projects because you don't get, you don't always, it's not the easiest to get support um, funding on that level, but people still do it anyway. Like you see all these creatives pop up, individuals pop up, collectives pop up, and everyone's just trying to do their own shit with whatever little you can get from the ground. And then everyone's just supporting each other in that sense. So I I feel like if you think about it from like a bird's eyes view, you just see all these people just running around doing things in their own and just pulling together like, whatever they have. So 
to me, it feels very bootstrap, but in a good way. Like everyone's just constantly trying to make things. And yeah, it's a nice energy. Do you think yeah. it's easier to be a creative today? Hmm. Yes and no. Okay. It's always, it's always a yes and no, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I feel it's easier today because maybe you have more resources. You have um, technologies a lot more accessible right but with that you also have a lot more competition or you have a lot more distraction um for you to get your name out there for you to like put your work outside as compared to what it was back then so i'm not sure it's a it can compare it apple to apple but yeah i think you have your own challenges these days right everyone has their own challenges i think back then right like i feel like back then the challenge was lack of resource um But right now, I think our challenge is there's too many distractions. Yeah, too much noise. Right? There's so like Netflix. I mean, there's like so many things to be distracted by, right? Like, why do you want to global warming? <laughs> Whoa, it's like zero no. to hundred, man. Kidding, you just talk about Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, distractions. I, I yeah, I like social issues, for example, or like politics, or like you know, there's just so much, so many things to. Back then, I guess it was a, it was a lot simpler, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I have nothing to do on a Friday night. I'm yeah. just gonna zoom and meet people and create something together but right yeah. now it's like yeah I think it's gonna stay home right? anything that anything that I'm not that I don't go for I can catch up on IG stories yeah right so I feel like you have more resources now but there's also so much more distractions and I think there's also um, with this idea of like social media right like impressions for example like now you're a lot more concerned with what people think about you right back then you know you don't really have all your all your stupid shit isn't documented <laughs> right mm. you can literally do whatever you want but right now, the idea of just um, the fear of judgment, right, um, which is which is no no fault on on the people in the generation. It's just it's just a culture, right? So I think it's it's a lot harder to create because now people are a lot more wary of what they put up. Yeah, you know, like even Instagram has become so curated, right? Yeah. Like back then it was like we we're just posting for fun. On I was like, I remember when Instagram first came out. We was using like. We're using like the stupid, ugly Instagram filters, right? And like making everything look CPI and like some like vignette <laughs> stuff. And then now it's like, now well, Lightroom, like uh, everything needs to be like super mm. well put together yep. to show a certain level of taste. Right now, everyone's a taste maker. So how do you like, I think it's just, I don't know, it's just so competitive and so much things to consider. Yeah. So I think maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder, but that's why props to people who can cut through all the bullshit, cut through all the noise, right? And like just, stay focused on what they want to do. I think that's really, yeah, props to them, yeah. Yeah. So like, interest, one of the interesting thing they said, the interviewees said it was, because there was no social media. So last yep. time when you needed to know what was going on, you needed to meet people or whatever, you actually had to get out of your house mm. and you just showed up at Zoo, you just showed up at TNT Studio, you just showed up at like Insomnia, the clubs or whatever and just see whatever gigs that was happening. And that was how people met people just really organically and that was how they just broadened their, whatever they were consuming. But now, because with the internet and everything, you are a lot more conscious and curated in what you expect experience so you'll go like okay i don't want to listen to this genre of music so i only go for this kind of gig or mm. i don't like this kind of art so i only go for this kind of gallery etc and i think in that sense then it makes the creation in this day and age a bit more difficult then you're just you're also talking to a very niche audience but it's also so then so convoluted in the sense because so much distraction 
It, so. it sounds as though it makes uh, writing things off that you don't think you'll enjoy a lot easier. Yeah. And you won't get uh, the serendipitous feeling of, oh, maybe I actually, I, I listen to something and oh, I actually like it. And yeah. then you explore more because you now you have a lot more choice, but your choice might not be... Uh, you don't know what you don't know. You, right? you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you want to exactly. a certain degree as well. Yeah. Because like back then... Uh, there was radio you can't really control what what the radio is playing and if the radio plays something you enjoy you go and find uh, what that is but right now you can have your playlist for each of a different thing mm-hmm. and the place created by yourself but you wouldn't know what you don't know exactly so like a, a, a huge discussion we have with this old, older <laughs> creatives is where are the spaces in Singapore today that actually allows you to do that for you to just walk in and meet people that you don't actually know, for you to walk into a gig that you don't actually know is happening. Um, and we, we couldn't think of anywhere right now, right? Because there just isn't a place like that. And it's a pity because when you hear about Zook and um, Haji Lin or Vice Plaza previously, that was just where all the magic happened. That, that was where they just met people that wasn't within their network and they created work together in that sense. Then a lot of that organic meeting, a lot of that organic collaboration then happened, which I feel is something that we don't get a lot these days. Because unless you you know follow someone on Instagram, you DM them, etc. But it's a whole lot of different interaction in a sense. So... Yeah, I wish I was born 10 years earlier, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Has your idea of creativity changed? Changed from the document? Like, oh. Throughout, because you guys are mature creatives. <laughs> I like to think so. Like, uh, well, I would like to think so as well. <laughs> you guys are not just starting out. You guys are not in school. You, yeah, mm. I, I would assume that you guys are quite mature in... Uh, your idea of creativity, how how you guys would like to create personally, and so has it changed along the way, or has it always been uh similar and consistent when you first started and to now? Because yeah. I would imagine it's been quite the journey, like for either of y'all. It too. has, it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. Like, um, I mean, when when I I I keep going back to TYC because that's like the start of my creative journey, right? And and since any. Any conversation about creativity just brings me back to like how we started. So I mean, even for myself, like um, back then, I was drawing a lot more, right? Um, I mean, the whole idea of TYC coming together was technically or like or realistically, it was four artists coming together to push each other's work out, right? So the four of us we will meet up at Starbucks to like draw, right? <laughs> um, and have all these kind of like um, sessions where we where we draw and just post each other's artwork on Instagram, try to get each other's name out as an artist. Um, and over time, I think like starting TYC, running the business, it just felt like I had, a, I mean, I don't even remember, but I had a whole identity crisis about drawing, right? Um, it felt like um, I couldn't properly, exp- I felt like I felt limited by my artwork, uh, not by my artwork, but by the medium that I was putting out the art, right? Because I was super heavy on like traditional pen and ink drawing. And I just felt that, uh, yeah, I could draw a skull, I could draw a rose like pretty well, but how many other people can do that, right? And I, it just felt like I was limiting myself um, um, with that medium that I, was so, that I was so focused on. So I, I remember this was like my early 20s, right? And it changed my, and that's why I keep I keep um, bringing back Keith Haring, right? Because he's one of my favorite artists and, and not just the art, but just his philosophy of art. So I remember uh, I was reading his journals at, at um, during this time and there was some there was a paragraph where he writes about um, an artist's life right so he said that um, your life is your artwork 
right? Like everything that you do or anything that you that you associate with your friends, your, your, you know, just how you live your life is basically you're crafting your own artwork at the end. You know, and that kind of like really, I think that really shaped my perspective. And this was like almost 10 years ago, right? And it's still so fresh in my mind because I was like, oh shit, that's true. Like I don't have to view um, drawing what defines me as a creative or as an mm. artist. So I think I took that notion and really tried to apply it um, to everything that I do, which I, which is I feel it could be why perhaps um, I'm so open to taking on new things, right? Because I just feel like everything that I do and everything that I want to do and everything that I feel worth doing, it, it, it's just me on my journey and in my life as the artwork. So I think definitely like there were a lot of moments where I felt that, you know, creativity is literally, it's, it's limitless. It's whatever you want to do. It's whatever, like, I mean, the idea of creativity just to create, right so um you could be a creative writer you could be like anything you know what's to say that i can't be a a, <laughs> a writer or like a rapper but freestyle now no. go <laughs> <laughs> no no we had that it was horrible <laughs> but yeah i mean just like yeah i think maybe if there's one takeaway from this it's really just like yeah like in this day and age like fuck the labels you know like that's why i feel like i don't really want to call myself a creative because I feel there's so much more to it sure. or just an artist or something you know I think there's so much more like you're just a creative person and I wish there was a term that they could that was invented to properly encompass like just creativity as a way of life um, but I think that's right now how I view it yeah mm. interesting sorry interesting segue because I think a while ago, we had this conversation about whether or not I would label myself as a creative. And I okay. was like, uh, I don't know. Because, I mean, professionally, I'm a suit background, right? Um, but I think what Dion has taught me is, yeah, creativity is a way of life. And okay. in, in that sense, I think I started off with maybe a very specific idea of what makes a creative like you either you do this for a living or you create things for a living but um like certain outputs for a living a painting and artwork a design da, da, da. um but i think he's taught me that actually a lot of the things i suppose i do in my life uh, is, is creative in a way yeah so so i think it's just looking at that and realizing that all of this I guess ende endeavors or all of this experimentation or whatever is creative in its own mm. and not having to worry about whether or not it fits into any box or any label or what people say in that sense. And I think just understanding that the journey of celebrating your own creation is equally as important as the final output itself. Yeah, because I think even with the documentary, I was talking to uh, one of our animators, John, about, because he was like, oh, you're now you're a filmmaker. And I was saying like, oh, the, the word filmmaker has a lot of weight to yep. it. You know, you feel like you have to go to film school, you have to do all these things to be to call yourself a film, filmmaker. And I was jokingly telling him like, nah, just tell people that I make, I make, I'm making a thing. <laughs> a thing, right? Uh, it just happens to be a documentary film. And he was like, no, you know, you should just celebrate the fact that you actually even started doing it mm. and it's not about the end output it's not about whether it's a feature length or a series or whatever but the fact that you're actually doing something you makes made you, something yeah, yeah it makes you a creative person and it makes that worth uh, celebrating in a sense so i think along the way that's how my my mantra i guess with that has evolved you know it's not about what you make it's about 
why you make something and and what you learn out of it yeah. in a sense yeah yeah and i think like just to just to cap that off i think like that train of thought really helped me deal with imposter syndrome mm. what is your history of it because i mean like he doesn't I do- have any <laughs> no 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 i mean like i i do so many things and sometimes like i do catch myself thinking like oh shit i shouldn't be claiming this title because mm. there are people who've dedicated years of their life um um studying this and, and really making this their one thing right but so for example like i i spin vinyl hip-hop records right but i would never label myself as a dj because um i think that's where the, the that's where the that self-awareness comes in mm. like i catch myself i'm like i'm not a dj i'm just doing this for fun like um, this is a hobby like like i dj for fun but i wouldn't be i'm not a dj yep you know i think it's, i think that's why I'm, I, I was quite amused by like how rappers or like how there's this like ongoing phrase where they say I'm not a rapper is it? Is yeah, there? I, I, don't, like, I think it's just this term um, that people say oh I'm not a rapper like I rap but I'm not a rapper or like and I think that kind of like um, yeah I, I think that goes back to like labels these days like it's it's cool you, you, you can you can make a film but not be a film director yep right like I could just say yeah I, I directed this this film like but I would never, I think for me, I would never lay claim that I'm a film director because like what we said, that comes with so much weight. That's why I said like, I wish there was a term that that properly encompasses creativity as a way of life because I feel like that's me. Like I'm just trying, I'm just a creative. I think when anyone asks me, what do I do these days? I just say, I'm, a, I'm just a creative because I'm not an artist only. I, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not a, a retail um, shop owner. Yep. I'm, I'm not I, I, sambal seller I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a condiment that, seller I'm not a person that sells okay I am a person that sells sambal but I'm not a F&B guy yep. so you know I think it's just yeah, the best way to describe it as of now is just I'm just a creative and I think that really helps with um, especially if anyone out there is like dealing with imposter syndrome like oh I'm am I a designer or you know am I am I um, claiming something that that I don't deserve like fuck that you know you're a creative that, that's it and I think that should give that that gives me at least enough um, enough space to create what I want without feeling guilty about what I'm doing yeah mm. I'm curious to know um, because the documentary delves and talks a lot about the history of Singapore's creative scene mm. how do you, do you feel it's important uh, to know about these people who have done so much because it feels as though uh, we are standing on the shoulders of these giants but we have no idea who they are we don't even know their mm. name we don't even know what they have done we only know uh, maybe what is important to us through social media on the west and what we want to do but we have no idea what has has done before do you think it's important yes i think it's important because it's important to know what they've done and why they did it because I think you can continue living your life not knowing these things and it wouldn't hurt you for sure. But I think there is so much context and lessons you can learn knowing the people that came before us and what they had to do with whatever situation they had in the same country that you're leaving. And realizing that, oh, actually the situation isn't that different from what we have right now. In fact, we have it a lot easier. But yet they continue, you know, building what they did because of at the end of the day, when you realize the commonality around all of them is the spirit of self-expression and the want to just create. And and I think then that 
that, at least for me personally, made me reflect a lot about what creativity is and what creating actually means and creating in a context of Singapore means and what that means as our own identity being a creative in Singapore, as a designer in Singapore, what designing in Singapore means, what what like the Singapore identity means in, in that sense. So I think in a way it doesn't, it, it wouldn't, it might not change anything for you, but I think it's always important to know like what has been done before just to see if there are things you can learn in a yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah I, I think for me, it's it is really crucial because like, yeah, I think it's the the term identity is is really the core, right, of of, of this documentary. Um, because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the efforts of the people in the mm-hmm. past. Yeah. Right? Like the fact that TYC can be eight years and having like commercial projects like now, like there has to be people that or not that has to, but there were people that that put into place like uh, certain systems or mm. certain things that made the arts more widely acceptable, right, to the public. Um, so I think yeah, you might you might not think about it on a day to day, but I think it's 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 really important to have these resources available for when you want to find out. Because let's say for example, if if you never thought about it, and then one day you're like. Actually, Singapore got any creative people back then or not? Then they're like, let's go and Google search. Google or YouTube. Yeah, but nothing comes up. Then you're like, oh shit. Um, Which is how we felt, right? Because there there wasn't any documentation. So I think all this definitely plays a a really, really important part in Singapore's creative identity, right? Just just knowing that, um, you know, like what, what was Singapore's graphic, like even design identity back then? So in the, in the documentary, we talk about um, how the substation, right, a place that was founded for the arts, like the home of the arts, um, where any band can can perform there, no matter how noisy they are or how um, loud they are, like Kopao Kun gave them a space to perform. Mm. And you think that's it, but the substation as a liberal arts organization also gave um, designers back then to create their own or to be a lot more free with their designs. Mm. So, you know, like, um, which was really, really um, interesting to learn because when we we're talking to um, Chris from Asylum and they're like, oh yeah, you know, clients like the substation give us um, freedom to design however we want. Um, you know, back then, what Chris would do is that he would tell substation, whatever small money you have, um, you don't pay me, I'll do it for free. You take that money and put it into production and like to come up with some really um, avant-garde or far-out printing. Mm-hmm. You know, and all this over time like helped shape Singapore's um, perception of the arts. Yeah. You know? So well, like how why why there isn't really like a live music scene in Singapore? And you realize, oh, back then there was the moshing band because someone took a photo of someone stage diving and moshing literally became banned like overnight. So gigs were like banned, um organizing like sorry, gig organizers basically couldn't pay the, the penalty, etc. So mm. um, it just stopped. Basically it died off for a long time and it took a long time before this live gigs actually came back, all these independent spaces, which is why the substation was again so important, etc. I think all this were really important in, in helping us understand why Singapore is the way it is today. And yeah. yeah. And I, I and for us as well, like I never knew about all this. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like it's something that we learned during the documentary where like we were talking to some of some of the OG um, um, music scene people, and they were like, "Do you know that Singapore had a moshing ban in 1993?" Yeah, like what's they, a moshing ban? So they slam banned, dancing. They banned moshing, like bosh, like the government banned slam dancing slash moshing 
um, because they thought it was too violent. Sure. And that cute basically killed off the, yeah. the 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 music scene back then. And it was only um it was only I guess after Singapore became a bit more progressive that that band was lifted. But do people now like I mean if you're going for all your gigs right now like and you're just happily moshing like do you know that back then like people couldn't do it? Yeah. Right? And it's and like I said, it may not um it may not affect you on the day to day now, but I think it's good to have these resources available um when people want to want to find out and to actually learn from from all this and like yeah like back then when um we had a moshing band and then Suhaime was like we went even deeper underground right because they wanted to create so that's why they started to have gigs at studios at like mm. jamming studios so TNT studios um they started to jam and they started to invite people into into the studio to watch them perform mm. They because basically just line up bands like one after another to play. People were just like crowding around the yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Cool. And it's so much culture, right? There's so much things that um, is a response to to whatever they didn't like or didn't want to um, agree with. Yeah. So it's not important, but I'm sure that watching this documentary, you there's yeah. definitely a takeaway for for you as a creative yeah. if you are if you you know if you are of the same I would say creative DNA as sure. as people who came mm. before us. Yeah. Everyone just understanding why Singapore doesn't really have graffiti. Mm. And like, why is it all on murals? Why is it just on HDB blocks, but you don't see actually like street tags or yeah. canals, whatever. And and I think that boils down to like, and I guess with this whole research and this documentary filming, it gave me a new understanding of what street artists in Singapore is doing now and what they actually have to work around. You know, the whole legality of walls and everything. And I think it gives you a new appreciation basically of what we have to work with at this point and what they had to work with. So, yeah. Yeah, super important. Yeah, yep. very important. <laughs> Good to know your history, kids. It's, it's interesting when, when when you guys were talking about, you guys talk about places like Far East and Substation and some of them might not be around anymore. Yeah. So, the, so the question is, what does it look like moving forward then? Because if these places, these, these places hold quite a bit of cultural heritage when, when people watch the film and everything, or people go to there, people can mix and talk. If you guys were to hypothesize what it would look like for Singapore, maybe two to three years, what does it look like? Yeah. Mm. Because it, the, the energy of people maybe still wanting to collaborate and, and work together, I, I imagine it still remains. Yeah. But if there is no like place to, for, 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 for people to meet, then what happens? What do you think happens? <laughs> as much as I, as much as I, I I'm, I'm a bit conflicted because I do wish to see more places like the substation um, and and just community spaces like Haji Lane, like bringing people together. But I'm conflicted because I I I, I wish to have that that community spirit, the physical community spirit, um, still present. But if I were to say like how I imagined it, two three years on the road, I feel like it's just all online, right? Like things are moving online, like. Um, I must say one of the best inventions is Discord, right? Like you have so many channels, you can uh, meet people online, you can, um, those can translate to real life relationships. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone's just going to be, it's a lot easier to connect, right? Because it's so easy to just jump into a Discord channel and look under a plants and pets channel. Yep. And be like, hey, I really like your Ethereum or I really like your Monstera. Like, um, <laughs> let's go plant shopping today. Yep. You know? So I think, um, I think the community has moved um, away from physical, and, and and it's definitely um, accelerated with COVID, right? With the pandemic and making everyone like 
a lot more comfortable with staying from home and not going out. Mm. So, I mean, if I were to hypothesize, I think two to three years, um, it's just going to be Discord <laughs> and, and online. Um, and I just wish that that they did it doesn't stop there, but it actually translates to actual meetups and, you know, actual collaboration and not just talking or trolling and then like, uh, <laughs> and then it just ends there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely agree, but I also think with Singapore, it will be very collective driven. Like you have collectives like Pure Ever or Northeast Social Club that will organize all of these events mm. um, that brings people together. But I don't think in the next two or three years we'll have a space space per se where people will just you, people can just constantly go to. Um, I think it will always be a roving. It will be ro- a roving thing for a while to go because because I don't think because with space in Singapore it's always tricky, mm. right? And I don't think anyone has the capacity to do that at this point. Um, but I think with the collectives it's actually it's quite interesting just to see people bringing in different like music acts or design acts or whatever together so it's quite promising it's just I don't think it will be in the same format anytime soon promising is a good word I suppose yeah it is it's different format different time different format different different time different format Mm. to to kind of cap off this podcast session um, I'm curious to know is there a common saying that y'all would disagree with a common saying or do you disagree what? with? Is there a common saying? Is there a common saying? Yeah, that you guys disagree with. Wow, very broad. Yes. Common saying. <laughs> mm. The common saying, I guess, in, in, in line with what we're doing here, I think would be Singapore has no creative scene. Mm. and you disagree I disagree I too. disagree too yeah um, yeah I mean because yeah. as a creative in Singapore and, and knowing and doing this documentary you know um, that creativity can always exist um, in in so many forms and I think it's it's just not right to um, I mean and of course it, it's not it's not the public's fault or like the mass fault for for saying that because obviously you know with with that news article that said artists are the least essential oh right like i mean all this just propels the stereotype that uh, singapore doesn't value the arts and which which would very um logically lead to the sentiment that singapore has no creative scene but i think it's it's not right to just stop there right but really dig deeper and and find out you know like what is happening and and, and as a creative like instead of just leaving the country and trying to make it big elsewhere like how could you stay and, and improve um, what is currently um, existing mm. yeah and I think one thing yeah, I just thought of this but one thing that a lot of the interviewees also said was that back in the days even though they may not like what someone else is doing they still respected them for why they were doing it and so it's like yeah, yeah, respect, so, yeah. so it's like I don't I may not like the genre of music you're playing but I respect you as a creative. I respect you for wanting to create. And I think that's that's actually a, a thing that I try to remember a lot these days because I think so with so much work out there in the world right now, we might not like what is in front of us. We might not like what the person beside us is doing, but I think there's so much of the person that we can remember or as a fellow creative that you can respect and remember that I think is, is something that I would say is a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Before we end, is there anything else you guys would like to talk about? 
so much. <laughs> <laughs> not web series. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I mean, I could talk about a documentary for for way longer. But I know. Um, I think something that that I also wanted to to put out was was this quote, uh, not not quote, but like this idea that really I think was one of my main takeaways doing this documentary. Um, was by was by Chris Ho. Um, rest in peace. But um, he said that just because you are an alternative doesn't make you cooler, right? Like he said that the mistake that most Singaporean creatives have is that we try to be alternative and shun shun the mainstream. Mm. But he said that it's just as important for the mainstream to survive so that you can have an alternative because alternative is always something that goes against whatever is mainstream, which that really like Mm. shocked me because I think a big part of my or how I consume things is always like when something is too too corporate or too like quote unquote mainstream I just like nah I'm just gonna mm-hmm. skip that but what he said really made me question like you know what like just because they're mainstream doesn't make them any less important to this ecosystem that we have right so I think that made me a lot more open to um, consuming more quote unquote mainstream content and not and being less judgy, I think. I think I, I think I used to be a lot more judgy, but now I'm like, nah, like, yeah, it's important for these guys to survive. Like, it's important for um, the Sam Willows to thrive, right? And it's important that that all these um, acts help slowly push the public's perception of the arts to something a bit more viable because at the end of the day, like Singaporean parents, for example, are so pragmatic, right? Like they only want you to pursue a career worth pursuing if it brings you um, financial gains and without a mainstream you'll never have that slow um shift in perception if everyone's gonna think like everyone's a starving artist and they're like why would a parent be supportive of that but if a parent sees sees like um a a, a good local act um that even if it's mainstream but they're like oh like yeah it is possible to pursue a career i mean that's a win for the creative culture in general so i think that's something that um that was really that was quite um, humbling humbling and it changed my perspective yeah. a bit and I think I mean there are a lot of moments that throughout doing this documentary that made me have a new perspective on things but yeah. I think that was something that really really like stuck with me mm. I agree yeah yeah. I think when he said that we were like whoa because he, he said it in the context of that time like, um, about how Singapore was obsessed with having an alternative where we didn't even have a mainstream so it was in context mm. to why everyone was shitting on Dick Lee and everyone was just trying to be an alternative punk or whatever. And I think that, yeah, that really changed my perspective too. Because I think when we think Singapore creative culture, we always think, ah, you shit on the people that like the Jack Neals or the whatever. But yeah, they're necessary. Um, we need them before you can push back on anything. And I think the whole definition of being an alternative was was quite sobering, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the documentary is literally just the surface of everything. I think what we want is just people to be curious and interested to do their own homework, speak to their own people, you know, find out all the stories that you don't know exist around you. And yeah, I just realized that actually Singapore has a lot more to offer in that sense. You know, Singaporeans have a lot more um, exciting stories to tell when you just ask. So, yeah. yeah. And, and also, I guess we should promo like the upcoming. Uh, yes. So what can we expect? Yeah. What can we look forward to? Okay, so the film will probably only be out um, end of the year. 
okay. sort of towards November, December. But in the meantime, we are actually working with Design Singapore to have an exhibition of the documentary in Ju- July. Yeah, so it will be an excerpt or an extract of the documentary, but you'll get to see snippets of some of what we spoke about at Design Singapore. In physical design. form. Yeah, in physical form. So we're also going to bring a lot of the Isn't artifacts. everything in physical form? What do you mean? Actually, actually, no, like, it's not online. It's, oh, not, like, okay. it's, it's not like, like not a screen, you know, like oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get to see like the physical embodiment of the film. Yeah, um, we're going to bring in artifacts like the old magazines, old yeah. zines, um, posters, photos, etc. So you can actually touch things. <laughs> and flip through them which I think is super cool because I think for, for us one of the really fun thing to, to do was collecting old big old magazine what which is called? one of the one of the first few music um, magazines the first the f- proper proper yeah in, in Singapore so they were one of the first few magazines that covered local bands local gigs um, music reviews album reviews etc so yeah, they are widely, pivotal yeah they were widely credited for um, pushing Singapore's alternative scene to the masses Mm. Um, so big O stands for before I get O mm. um, and yeah it was just very pivotal like most of the people that I spoke to um, you know just credits it as as the magazine that if you made it in big O you made it in the underground mm. wow. um, and big O also was really important in organizing gigs so mm. they weren't just a fa- they, they were basically they started out as a fanzine like a black and white photocopy zine but um, over time they grew to a, a proper published magazine and they organized gigs. Um, did they, albums, yeah, compilation. they did compilation albums. They they got designers to 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 work. And I I think that's something that um that is really commendable. Like you know, instead of just servicing your own industry, you you actually paved the way for other other um, creative cultures to to you give them a platform to showcase their stuff. So I mean, like. And and that's why I'm, I have a huge res- a ton of respect for let's say Big O for doing that not just for music but for design, and for the substation substation as well not just giving bands to perform but giving designers um and an outlet to experiment and to be a bit more far out with their mm. with their design. So I think it's just that whole idea of um, cross pollination um that that we th- we felt was really important and those and all those will be showcased. I mean at, at the exhibition so you mm. get to see like the physical embodiment of the exhibition. Yeah, you can flip through them and read articles. Would it be safe to assume that the curation and the design of the exhibition is a different challenge than the film? 100%. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think we were really lucky to get the support of National Design Centre. You know, so they were really, really kind in in sponsoring um, part of the film, um, the exhibition. You know, we, they, they are in our, our partner in this because they believe in the project um, quite, quite, strongly right mm-hmm. so i think that's something also like that we have to be very thankful for because um we reached out to design singapore just to um just to help help out with the film right just to help us clear certain usages or certain mm-hmm. licenses that that we needed and you know they responded with like yeah um but on top of that <laughs> why don't why don't you help us plan an exhibition and help us plan three workshops um, and then we also sponsored the film. Yep. So we were like, wow. I mean, like that's why I think we are super lucky or blessed. I mean, I mean, just the 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 universe saying that we're on the right path, right? Because um, if if Class X existed, it's just a documentary would be fine. But right now, Class X is going to exist as a documentary, um, as a physical exhibition from first July to like Jan twenty twenty three. Oh, tight. And um, and we also have outlets like Class X workshops where we mm-hmm. can engage um, friends that, to come and 
you know, inspire or, or teach the next generation of creatives. And I feel like this whole thing grew a lot bigger than just us wanting to put a film together. Yeah. So yeah. after I said that, now I feel even more pressure. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean. See, but, Dion, yeah. Dion's way of putting things out there. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. check with you first. Never mind. La. <laughs> I have to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's confirmed, but so, so um, yeah, I think it's just something to look at. It's going to be a very busy year, but um, yeah, I think this is, it's been, I think by the end of this year, we have been three years in the making. Yeah. Right? Long time. Three years and it's crazy because um, we filmed, we we did all the filming during the pandemic. Mm. So, mm. which was, I mean, the pandemic could have been a blessing to help us because, right, like- Slow things down. Slow things down. Like the production houses could actually like- Yeah, had time have, to- Had time to, to, to help us on this. And because once the pandemic, I mean, once things started to open up, they were like busy, super busy. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So I think everything just in its own time. Yeah. Thank you, COVID. Haha. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I take Let's it back. end uh, the conversation. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> Thank you, universe. Okay. Are there <laughs> any more shout outs that you guys would like to give before we end the episode? Thank you, everyone who helped us up on this project. Yeah. Shout out to shout out to um, um, the guys that that came on voluntarily to help. Mm. Um, so I mean, it was really sweet and touching right like when we when we were filming you know we had guys coming in um not from amok but like friends of amok coming in to help out with the sound and i was like wait um and these guys are like busy right like they're doing like projects at like during the same period and they're like now nah, we just want to help like they're not getting paid um it's like weekends <laughs> like weekends coming down to help us like handle the sound and i'm like wow it's really it's really just a spirit of like wanting to help it and it's so generous yeah. so I just really want to shout out um, everybody yeah I'm not no average Joe um, I mean even no average Joe the editor is working on weekends on top of his full time job just yeah. to help us and we've never met the guy no I mean on, only on the call but um, yeah basically it's all over email but yep. he's just putting in the effort and putting in the work which I really really I mean yeah we could have done it without mm. all anyone out there so shout out to go down your list go Shout out, no, so shout out to the people who has helped us make this possible. Yep. And of course, shout out to every creative like trying to figure out their way in 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 their life, right? Because I mean, that's all that's that's what we're all doing. Yep. You know. Um we're all walking in the same direction, right? It's just the paths are different, but we'll get there. Yeah. Can Please people find it. you guys online? Do you guys have uh the usual socials or uh, we do, but it's not super active cool. now. But you can follow us on Stacking Stones Club. Yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, I we mean, will we, yeah, update that soon. We will, we will start to update that soon. Right now, it's um, it's posted from twenty nineteen from our talk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be starting to roll out the marketing stuff for Class X soon. But yeah, come by Design Center, National Design Center, July so, onwards. Sounds like something to look forward to. Thank you both for your time. Thank you for having for the conversation. Yes. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.